In my distress, I called to the Lord. I cried to my God for help. From his temple, he heard my voice. My cry came before him into his ears. Welcome to the Gospel According to with Ryan and Mike, a conversation designed to explore what makes the gospel good news in various books and topics in the Bible. On the last episode, Ryan and Mike considered what apocalyptic literature is. On today's episode, they will continue that conversation, asking why the scriptures use this strange but empowering style, as it urges each of us to ask what our view is not only of the world, but of the cosmos itself. All right, Ryan, so we are back and we're going to continue our discussion on Revelation is apocalyptic. In our last episode, we talked about what is apocalyptic. Uh, in this episode, we're going to talk about why, what is its purpose, and what is the power of apocalyptic. Before we dive into that, let's do just a brief review of what we, we looked at last time. We asked the question, what is apocalyptic? We said it's a, it can be a worldview or a literary genre, a way of writing. In terms of the genre itself, um, so there are certain characteristics of, of this way of writing. And, and uh, on one hand, it's a report of revelatory experiences like dreams and visions. The next thing we could say about it is it's composed of figurative, symbolic images and scenes. Those images and scenes are third, intense, graphic, and visceral. And fourth, described on an epic cosmic scale. And then finally, all those things, those images and scenes are drawn primarily from the scriptures. Old Testament, New Testament, or the law, prophets, and writings, and the stories of Jesus, as well as, secondarily, some of the historical cultural images of their own day. In this case, with Revelation, imperial propaganda, the imperial cult, Roman mythology, and things like that. So that's looking at apocalyptic, analyzing it, trying to just understand what it is. You have a special love for the apocalyptic worldview. Why don't you again review Apocalypse for us? Apocalypse what now? Worldview. What did I say? Uh, what? <laughs> Worldview. Cosmos view, Mike. Oh, excuse me. I'm so Cosmos sorry. View. Cosmos view. Yes. Cosmos view. I'm going to break you of this, but go ahead. Yeah, I appreciate it. Yeah. Go ahead. So uh, clearly, as you have just illustrated so powerfully for us, you have a special passion about uh, apocalyptic cosmos view. There you um, go. Can you comment just briefly again in review the connection between apocalyptic writing or genre an apocalyptic cosmos view. Yeah, I mean, we talked about this last time, and, and it's something that I am so passionate about. I do want to make sure we touch on it again because it's central to the book of Revelation. Is whenever you think of apocalyptic literature, as you said very well last time, there is a specific type of literature. And you look to books like Daniel, Zechariah, Revelation, and many others throughout the mm -hmm. scripture to where you see this type of literature. But the reason the Bible gives us that type of literature is it lends itself to a particular way of thinking. Mm -hmm. I've noticed this among my teaching. Many brethren stray from books like Daniel, Zechariah, and Revelation, and much more love books like Luke, Luke or Acts, mm -hmm. because they are books that are about everything going on down here on earth. Yeah. But whenever you really live in the apocalyptic literature— by its design, it is urging you to think about the heavenly realm above. Absolutely. Paul does this in Colossians. He does this in Ephesians. I mean, yeah. this isn't just found in, you know, all of the symbolic sections of Scripture, but that whole view of the cosmos, that whole view of the universe itself, the whole view of reality, not just of this world, but above this world, above where we are, 
that's what apocalyptic literature is really urging us to do, <clears throat> is really urging us to think above our present world into the heavenly realm itself. And then when you get to the heavenly realm itself, that's when you see God is at work. Yeah. If you look merely through the pages of human history, you could read our history as a sad, horrible history. But if you read it from an apocalyptic dimension, you see, no, God is at work redeeming. God is at work saving. God is at work exercising righteousness. Mm. And that's what the apocalyptic literature is by its nature designing us to do. Absolutely. Well, that that sets up exactly what we want to talk about then in this episode is that why, right? As we, yeah. and, and, and it's in seeing that relationship between the worldview and the writing style that, that we sort of... The really, what view? <laughs> the view of the cosmos. <laughs> the the cosmos view. Exactly. All this right. is going to be my, this. if I ever write a book, that, that yeah. will be the title of it, the cosmos view. Oh, Go ahead. All right. No, okay, that that relationship between those two things really helps us get to that idea of purpose. And and, th- and this is really what's important because we, all right, we, we come to Revelation and we see all these strange things, right? The dreams and visions and symbols and figures and intense graphic, visceral, epic cosmic scale, all those kinds of things. But what we really want to understand is why is Revelation like this, right? Yeah. Why do we Why do we have to put up with all this weird stuff to get to the point? And, and, and let's really... Yeah, and, and I mean, go back go back to what you told us a few episodes ago about the story of Revelation. Mm-hmm. Tell me the story of Revelation in one sentence real quick. Your God reigns. There you go, right? Yeah. And if you work through those basic plot movements, Jesus ascends, war comes, sa- sa- Satan has war, but then judgment ultimately follows yeah. with the kingdom, right? Yeah. Um, you know, that basic narrative of Revelation could have been told in very clear prose in about a paragraph. Mm-hmm. But the Holy Spirit has given us this wonderful book, not in this simple, clear, concise prose, but rather in these complex, visceral, as you said, epicosmic, just just visions of what's going on both down here, but also above in heaven. Absolutely. So how about you go ahead and talk through this a little bit from the perspective of Psalm 18. This is something you pointed out to me, and I think this is fascinating to note, how even the nature of apocalyptic comes from Psalm 18. Yeah. So Psalm 18, and I I will take the time to read this just because it'll, if you're not familiar with Psalm 18, it's helpful to see this. But, but Psalm 18 is a, is a Psalm that's, that's, uh, set in David's life sometime after God's given him this this rescue from a period of oppression. Um, you know, he's delivered him from the hands of all his enemies and from Saul. So we don't know exactly where this fits in his life, but sometime at least after Saul's been taken out of the picture and David's experienced this relief. But David in this Psalm looks back over those experiences of trouble to see God's hand to rescue and to save and to work for him. And he describes his, his suffering in verses four through five as death encompassing and surrounding him as if it's pulling him down into the hearts of the sea. And then he says in verse six, in my distress, I called upon Yahweh and then my uh, cried to my God for help and he heard me. But then you get to Psalm 18 and verse seven and you have this fantastic, uh, epic description of God coming to rescue. It says the earth shook. And yeah, and if I can just note there in, in verse six, yeah. from his temple, he heard me. Yeah. What good. temple is that? That's God's heavenly temple. 
Yeah, I mean, this is something that, you know, the book of Hebrews and the book of Revelation will talk about in great detail, but there is a heavenly temple where God is above, mm-hmm. and this is what David is looking to in this very apocalyptic manner in Psalm 18. Go on yeah. verse 7 then. What the temple or tabernacle or ta- temple in Jerusalem represented was that heavenly temple. Yes, absolutely, yeah. yeah. All right, so verse 7. So after David cries out and this cry comes to God's ears in his temple, verse 7, then the earth shook and quaked. And the foundations of the mountains were trembling and were shaken because he was angry. Smoke went up out of his nostrils, fire from his mouth devoured, coals were kindled by it. He bowed the heavens also and came down with thick darkness under his feet. He rode on a cherub and flew. He sped upon the wings of the wind. He made darkness his hiding place, his canopy around it. You know, you go down in verse 13, the Lord thundered. He uttered his voice, hailstones and coals of fire lightning flashes, channels of water, the foundations of the world were laid bare, right? Not reading every word, but getting a sense. You have this intense, visceral language, right? Epic cosmic scale to describe God acting on David's behalf. But but then when you stop and think about this and set this in the context of the story of David that we get in First and Second Samuel, you think, when did this ever happen? Think about the, the different deliverances that David experienced. Well, when he's fighting Goliath, this stone from his sling just happened to hit the Goliath's head. And then he was able to take Goliath's own sword and chop off his head. And that gave them momentum to win the battle against the Philistines. Or when Saul wanted to kill him and twice he hurled his spear at him, it just so happened that that spear missed David and and um, and didn't kill him. Or uh, in, in 1 Samuel 23, when David's been on the run from Saul and, and Saul learns where he's at, David and his men are going up one side of the mountain. Saul and his men are, are coming up the other side of the mountain, chasing after him. And just as Saul would about to incl- uh, close in around David, Saul just so happens to get a message that says the Philistines are attacking in the valley, come and deliver. So, so Saul has to turn away from him. You know, and, and you get all these like very almost coincidental rescues, but David would say that was God saving him and rescuing him and working in history. And it's this language of Psalm 18 that helps emphasize and draw attention to the fact that all we see is spears missing and, you know, happenstance. But but this language of Psalm 18 wants us to see, no, God is powerfully at work in the world for his people to rescue, to save, to deliver, to bring about his purposes. And so if we can appreciate how that works in Psalm 18, I think that's a helpful entry point for us to start to appreciate really what this apocalyptic literature and revelation is doing in that it's providing. And, and when we say the purpose of apocalyptic, this is this is, you know, I think the first point we'd see it's providing a heavenly view of reality. Right. There are there are things we just don't see in our experiences. And so this is providing a heavenly view of reality. Um, yeah. and, that's, and I love this example of Psalm 18. Yeah. I love this example of Psalm 18. It's so powerful. If you look e- even down to verse 16, God sent from on high. He took me. He drew me out of many waters. He rescued me from my strong enemy and from those who hated me, for they were too mighty for me. They confronted me in the day of calamity, but Yahweh was my support. You know, there's probably many different times in David's life that this is talking about. But if you go through the book of 1 Samuel, you see the Philistines, you see Saul, you see the armies that are continually assaulting David. Mm-hmm. David's on the run. He's having to hide out. David truly is being oppressed. But as you go through First Samuel, 
you don't get these visions into the heavenly realm. Right. Yeah. You see Saul chasing David. You yeah. see David on the run. You see David being persecuted. But all the while, you're wondering, where is God in all of this? Mm-hmm. I think the most famous biblical example of this is the book of Esther. The word God is not even used in the book of Esther. Mm-hmm. And so that, of course, has led to you know much discussion about, is God at work in this? Where is God at this? I, I kind of find that question a little bit bizarre because even though the word God is not used in Esther, that same question could be used of every single Old Testament historical book. Absolutely. Really, as you work through every single book of history in the Old Testament, God is not centrally on stage, but rather it's the judges or the kings and all of these people that are on here. But when you go to apocalyptic areas of Scripture, mm-hmm. as opposed to the historical books like First Samuel or First Chronicles, etc., apocalyptic sections of Scripture are always taking us heavenly. They're yes. always taking us above. And you see... Even though David and Saul seem to be the main players on the stage, mm-hmm. if you look above, yeah. no, God is at work. Absolutely. God is at work. Mm-hmm. Even when we couldn't see him, God was at work. And yeah. that is why I love sections of scripture that are apocalyptic, is they're giving us that glimpse into the heavenly drama so that we see God at work. Absolutely. Yeah. It, it, yeah, exactly. They, they, they jar us, they shake us up to seeing those things that, you know, we, we, we live our lives like Esther, right? There's that, there's that debate because that's how we live our lives. Well, God's not around. God's not doing anything. Well, Esther in the narrative sort of causes you to ask that question. Who's behind all this? It's the apocalyptic books like Daniel and Revelation that force us to see that God is at work. Yeah, sh- Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Or since we're talking about Esther, amen and a woman, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, but but, I mean, I think on that note, what Revelation helps us to do, much like Psalm 18, much like the book of Zechariah, much like the book of Daniel, much like Matthew 24, much like Ephesians 6, much like so many other areas of scripture that are apocalyptic, what they're helping us to do is to take our everyday, somewhat mundane, earthly existence and recognize, no, Mm -hmm. God is at work. Absolutely. God reigns. Mm Mm-hmm. God is king. Yeah. God is Lord. God reigns. Yes. And that is why these strange visions, these epic scenes, and everything that goes on are central, I think, really to our to our lives as saints, is because it helps us to see, no, the, the, the world is raging, the world continues to turn, but God reigns. Absolutely. God is at work. Yeah. But let me let me offer um, a couple more like points just to sort of clarify and be a little more precise on what we're saying with this idea of this heavenly view of reality or God's eye view of reality and seeing God's work because this apocalyptic writing works on a couple levels. One is it tells us what's going on in heaven, right? Or 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 it's drawing hey, can our Can you define that term heaven for me real quick, Mike? I have learned from experience that is a word that you and I probably mean in a somewhat different way from the way many people hear it. Yeah. Uh, at least for for our purposes now, thinking of it in terms of the sphere of reality or realm in which God lives and dwells. 
Yeah, very good. Yeah. Okay. So, you know, when we say heaven, we're not meaning the everlasting or everlasting home of the righteous. Yeah. Whenever the Bible uses the term heaven, I, actually, in my opinion, I don't think that term heaven ever is used that way, but that's a whole other yeah. topic for another day. Uh-huh. But heaven is merely the realm above where God is at work. Yeah, absolutely. And, yeah. and, and it's characterized and, and by a throne. You know, yeah. the, the throne of God is always what separates heaven from the earthly realm. Mm-hmm. God's throne, at least for the time being, is in heaven. Yeah, that's right. So, so the idea here is that, okay, on one hand, the, this apocalyptic writing, this, these apocalyptic books, Revelation, is containing these images and scenes that are revealing invisible heaven rea- heavenly realities. And it doesn't even mean so much what's up there versus what's down here, but these, we might even say, spiritual realities. So you might think, for instance, in Revelation 12, a, a passage we looked at briefly last time, talks about the dragon. Well, we live on earth and we see kingdoms. And we see, um, you know, kings and presidents and senators and all these sorts of things. But we we see corporations, but we're not aware of the spiritual forces at work behind the scenes, right? And so, on one yeah, hand, apocalyptic apocalyptic is is revealing those invisible heavenly realities. Again, what's going on in heaven? The other thing it's doing is it showing us what's going on on earth from a heavenly perspective. In other words, it's, it's interpreting these visible earthly figures and events from a heavenly perspective. So an, an example of this would be what's said about the, the sea beast and the earth beast and the, and the great harlot or prostitute in Revelation, right? Again, all we see are, uh, you know, nations and uh, political powers and military powers and cultural powers shifts and those kinds of things, revelation and apocalyptic language by, by describing it in terms of the beast and the prostitute and using these kinds of figures is, is helping us see something of reality beyond what we can still see with our, with our and that's where, yeah And that's where I go back to the cosmos view, right? Yeah. Revelation and all of the apocalyptic... The what? Liter- po- the, exactly. <laughs> all of Revelation and the apocalyptic literature is giving us a view of the cosmos. Yeah. It's making us recognize it's not just what's going on in the world, but there's a spiritual reality that is at work. So let yeah. me ask you this last question. I want you to answer, and then I'll close this out in my answer. Yeah. What is the apocalyptic gospel? So, you know, this whole podcast is called The Gospel According To. Yeah. Let's kind of take these two ideas together. The gospel is your God reigns. Yeah. Apocalyptic is the revelation of God from heaven above. Yeah. What is the apocalyptic gospel? Your God reigns, right? Again, that's, that's exactly exactly the point because what, what happens is in our own experiences, whether it's just normal mundane humanity or intense suffering and grief that we experience in this present evil age, right? We look around and we don't see God. We don't see him at work. It does not look like he's reigning and ruling on his throne. It does not look, I don't see justice. I don't see joy. I don't see peace or any of those things. And so what this way of writing these books like Daniel and Revelation do by unveiling, revealing, using this fantastic imagery to to show no, no matter what it looks like, God is on the throne. God is working in history to accomplish his purposes and God will win and be victorious. And so then, and then it works on that next level to inspire endurance, allegiance, and hope, all the things we've already talked about, inspire that in us in the midst of whatever we're going through to be loyal and faithful to our God who reigns. 
Absolutely. And for me, the reason I become so passionate about the apocalyptic cosmos view Mm -hmm. is it puts human agency and human action within the proper context. Yes. Whenever we recognize God is creator Mm -hmm. and God has brought about a new creation through Jesus and God is the one who is at work, God is the initiator, God is the forerunner, God is the redeemer, God is the protagonist. Yes. All of those things are so clear in apocalyptic literature. We then come in as players on the stage, as a part of that great drama, having our proper role, recognizing God has already initiated the action. We simply get on board and in faithful response follow Him, rather than thinking that we are our own gods, rather than thinking that we're our own rulers. The apocalyptic gospel really puts God on the throne because when we look above in these great visions, Mike, we are reminded... Your God reigns. Thanks for listening to the Gospel According to podcast. If you have any questions about what you heard today, please send us a voice message. We would really love to hear from you. Next time, Mike and Ryan will be going back, way back, back all the way to the Old Testament. The Old Testament is the key to understanding the message of Revelation. Don't miss an episode by subscribing wherever you get your podcasts. And until next time, and for all time, your God.